0: The past, the present, the future, this is Friday Night Fright, what the planet is listening to. Hello and welcome to season 4 of Friday Night Fright, season 4, season 4, 4 comes after 3 and 2 and 1, 1 and 3 make 4, 2 and 3 make 5, this is not season 5, this is season 4, best season yet, season where everything changes, everything changes, you know, it's all going to change, all going to change, this is season four, season four, season four of Friday Night Fright, then, later, forever, question mark, season four, y'all. Hey guys, welcome to Friday Night Fright, I'm your party host, Ian Austin, as always, and on this episode, boy, we've got some fun stuff for you, we've got, creep show 2 which will be recapped in three parts and around those parts we have two reviews of the first two episodes of emily in paris which is a terrifying show as i think you can imagine and it's great to be back doing this podcast it's really good i know this episode's going to go up late than usual on thursday i'm recording this bit almost penultimate i guess you can say because second emily in paris review i haven't recorded yet um, and reason for it's big news my movie's gone live on YouTube Barbara Batchen is live on YouTube for free don't have to pay anything to watch it it's live on YouTube I wasn't going to post on YouTube but I had a terrible day at work yesterday and I thought I, you know I just don't care I want a win so I thought I want podcasts podcast to come out and I want Barbara Batchen come out it was going to come out in a few weeks but you know, why not release it sooner I'm under no obligation to release it too early and I decide not to so there you go but on that score, I would talk some more about that in the epilogue to the episode. Um, I'll tr- I don't think I'll get you a link per se because, no, I couldn't pronounce the link. I'll throw it in the podcast um, description this week if you fancy watching it. It'd be great. If you don't, that's okay. But I have to add that if you ever think I slighted a movie you enjoyed, watch my movie, Terror Part, and let me know how bad my movie actually is. Um... I don't mind. It was made for me and my friends, and it's a really, really weird horror movie, but hopefully someone will enjoy it. And enough about safe promotion, because obviously people get sick of it. On to this week's episode. So Creep Show 2, in Paris. And I think we can both agree that's... Or all agree, hopefully if more than two people are listening to this, that's quite a collected list of episodes to cover, and content covering an episode. But I kind of like the idea of doing TV. I was going to do The Walking Dead with Beyond, and I think I still am... But then I thought you need to do more than one episode a week. So I'll be covering that when that season's finished. I'll be doing batch episodes of that, probably four episodes per episode, I guess. But for now, Emily in Paris is what I'm going to be doing. At least two episodes a week, uh, maybe some more. And if it's popular enough, maybe I'll get a spin off like Flash did before I stopped doing Flash. Um, I'm sure at some point I'll go back to Flash, but I need a break from that. So there you go. Anyway, enjoy this week's episode, and I'll be back after a brief word from our sponsor. So, Show 2 starts with a sequence in a street with a little kid named Billy, little boy named Billy, he's about eight, nine, um, walking up to a truck as it pulls up and after Truck, we find pops out The Creep, played by Tom Savini. And this is a particularly. Like, obviously, I haven't seen Creep Show 1, so I assume this character's in Creep Show 1. And when I do my recap for Creep Show 1 or Creep Show, I'll maybe make less jokes about it because I've already made jokes. This is a movie watched on Apple TV, by the way, on Arrow TV, even by the way. But he has balls on his chin. And that's fine. He just he has balls on his chin and he comes across as a massive paedophile, but that's okay um, because it's a weird horror genre. So he jumps out and he starts making really creep comments about Billy being first to read the horrifying new issue of Creep Show. And I'm like, okay, you know, we've got a comic book within a movie. I'm sure this is in the first one, but again, I haven't seen first one, so I'm commenting on it for the first time. I'm viewing it first time. So, essentially, it's sort of like, Billy, you're going to read my comic. And then it cuts to a castle? Like, actually, no. First, it cuts to a bunch of comic book panels of the events so that will take place in this movie, which is quite a cool device. And if there was a creep show to a comic book that you could buy, I would buy it. I might have to look into that after this episode. It's finished, actually. But after that, we cut to a castle, and Creeper's there, and his ball chin is bouncing back and forth, and it's very dist- distracting very very uncomfortable to watch but he's sort of like talking about how people have come for gore and i'm like i've come for gore i love gore in fact one of my favorite things of the uh, mid 2000s online was there's this guy damien who did tv recaps for supernatural tv without pity and he loved gore and he had gore dragon who loved gore and i also love gore so i'm really into some gory scenes in this um and from there he feeds a crocodile steak and I'm like, that's not gory, but I hope that Angmate to Cro this is an Angmet section, by the way. I hope that Angmet crocodile comes back at some point. And um, and from there we cut to the small town of Dead River, um, which essentially is a dead is two shops and some houses. Um and the corner shop is owned by George Kennedy uh known for naked gun the american dennis menace and a bunch of other movies a good actor good comedic actor um yeah and he's probably done some dramatic stuff too i just can't remember off the top of my head so the basic gist is that him and his wife own the store but no one comes to the store because no one's buying anything in town at the moment and outside the store he has a native american wooden statue chief wooden head um who he likes adjusting war paint now and again. And it's actually a really good design, so that's good. Um, And then up to the place, Paul's um, Chief Benjamin. Or something, Chief, not And Chief Benjamin's like, after we have George Kennedy and his wife Martha, Ray and Martha, character names, after she says that she's sick of living here because there's no one in town and haven't had to sell in four days and a credit sale in four weeks... And you know, I've nothing to leave for the grandkids after that argument. Chief Benjamin pulls up in his limo which she mocks and I'm like, this one was a little bit racist, but you know I, I I don't know when it's meant to be set, so maybe that racism was considered part of the course at the time. It's certainly inappropriate nowadays, but doing it from a modern lens and you know off that jazz. Um they go in Benjamin goes in the store and sort of like, you know, my people have borrowed a lot from your people and we're in debt. So to get around that debt, I'm going to give you this um bag of jewels. And he gives him bag of jewels and I'm like, did did your kids make this? And sort of like, this is a prized possession from everyone tribe. And again, I'm like, did their kids make these? These like, horror way look like shit. But George Kennedy is sort of like, oh no, we can't take them. And Chief Benjamin eventually is sort of like, it's one thing to borrow, it's another to beg. I'm like, there's nothing wrong begging, admitting that you need assistance. But he starts talking about pride and all that shit. And vaguely insinuates that if he doesn't get his way, he's going to kill Ray and Martha. And I'm like, wow, that's fucked up. Um, so eventually Ray's convinced by Martha to take the jewels. And Martha says, Chief Benjamin, I misunderestimated you. Or undressed made you even. And at this point I'm like, I think Marth just wants the jewels. I mean they look like shit, but clearly they're worth some money. So that's kind of fucked up. So Benjamin Chief Benjamin goes outside the store and says Bye, to Chief Woodenhead who gives him a nod and Chief Benjamin's sort of like, that's a bit strange. And then he walks off. Um so then the Ray and Martha are having chat, you know, about underestimating native americans <laughs> and a native american enters where well, a very 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 white looking native american named um shit i can't even remember his name uh fuck i've only just watched this and i forgot names um let's call him johnny i was called johnny so john so sam 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 sam's his name so sam walks in and he's sort of like hey i'm beautiful and that's basically his entire character so uh, he thinks he could go Hollywood, and he's got a shotgun and he's backed up by a guy named fat stuff and a guy named fuck it stan i don't know stan so stan's character is he's rich his dad's rich and he does things. fat stuff's character is he's fat and sam's character is he thinks he can go Hollywood, and he's got really long hair so sam's like and a shotgun so, sam's like hey we're gonna steal some shit so sam's yeah. fuck i'm not calling stan stang i'm going to call stan jongies so Jongy and fat stuff start stealing stuff as sam starts talking about how much he'd go high with, how pretty he is and it's really awkward a really strange scene um but in some ways it does set attention which is good so sam takes some pictures and talks about how There's a movie of a guy whose hair gave him superpowers and then some bitch cut off, and he could have played that wrong. I'm like, I don't know what movie that was. That seems really vague. And then I remember George Romero wrote this script, and I'm like, did George Romero not want to have any, like, political, social subtext in this movie? He didn't direct it, but he's like, he's not trying to say anything. And normally George Romero's stuff tries to say something, even if it's by accident. And this isn't really saying anything. I mean, maybe it's saying that, like, stealing is bad, but I don't think we need fucking Creepshow 2 to tell us that. So then um George Kennedy keeps getting nearer to Sam, who has his wife here at Shotgun Point, and Sam keeps saying, back off, old man, and then speaking some Navajo, Navar- Nav- I guess, Navajo. I don't know how it's pronounced well eventually it gets too much and he, and he asks for the jewels that the um, guy brought earlier and Ray's like you can't have those and he fends fat stuff up off and then Johnny's left the store at this point and Sam accidentally shoots Martha with a shotgun and it's really gory and she reaches out for end and slumps over a hay barrel and Ray's like no so he steps forward and gets shot it's also gory and then takes enough stepping i'm like how do you do that is he gonna take enough step that'd be ridiculous and then he falls over and then sam's like hey we're going i now but first go to your homes and pick up your stuff it's like wait what and from there we cut to them leaving and chief wormhead's like Nrah. and then he makes a roar like a t-rex and it's like holy shit he's pissed so then they need to leave right away but fat stuff goes to us caravan trailer and starts watching the cisco kid and if this clip is any occasion that show was a gigantic piece of shit um so then he starts eating chicken wings and going loco in time for the show and then he gets two arrows for his chest and one for his head and it's incredibly gory and it's like wow gore more gore so then we cut jogging i'm like they're not fucking around they're rushing through this after that Really long setup. They're rushing through the actual interesting part and material. So then Johnny's at home and his parents don't give a shit about him. So he picks up a steering bag and goes to be his glass smashing in garage. And his parents don't even give a shit. So he goes and walks in. And as soon as he walks in, finds that windows on his firebird have been smashed in. Oh no, not the firebird! And then Chief in silhouette walks up behind him and starts hacking him death with an axe. But you don't see it because it's in silhouette. You just see blood splattering on wall, which is a really cool effect. Um, and from there, they cut to him lying on his car, bleeding profusely, incredibly dead. And I'm like, wow, that's quick. So what's going to happen next? Well, he immediately goes to Sam's house. And Sam's still talking about going Hollywood. It's like, dude, you ain't that pretty. I'm just going to say it. No, you ain't all that. And you ain't bad corn chips. So, he um he fucking hears a glass smash, turns around, and Chief Whirling heads through the front door. And it's all like, no, no, you're not real. And he starts shooting, and Chief Whirlinghead's like, no, I'm of Wood, you douchebag, you can't kill me. And then Sam runs in the bathroom, and then Chief Wilmhead smashes through the wall, pulls him through, and fucking scalps him. We don't see the exact scalping, we see point of impact, and then cuts away, but we hear a scream. scream. Uh, next morning, Chief Benjamin wakes up in his bed to find... The jewels covered in blood, and he's like, Holy shit. He's got a really small bed by the way, really child's like bed, and the chickens clucking outside. So it's like, what's going on with this tribe? So then Chief Womhead, Chief Benjamin even goes to the store and he finds Chief Wombhead holding his nephew's scalp. Yeah, Sam was his nephew. And he's sort of like, Now you rest at peace, peace, Chief Wombhang. I'm like no cops are going to come by, you're going to see them, you're going to be like, well, fuck this shit. And you're going to start a war with Chief Womanhead. That's how it's going to go. He's just murdered three people. You no, know, it's bizarre. Um, so, yeah, what did I say for this first part of the creep show? I actually really like this. I mean, yes, the setup's too long, um, some of the dialogue to tad ham fisted, and it's a George Romero piece with no social commentary whatsoever. But it's really entertaining. It moves it when it gets going it gets going really quickly and the setup does actually help mean things resonate a bit more. Characters aren't great, they're very thinly sketched, obviously it's a half hour um into half hour ep- mini part of the movie, like one third of the movie segmented. Um but it's good. It's very watchable. The cabin works quite nice in no matter of fact. The silhouette Kit takedown of of John is fantastic. The ways the takedowns done different is cool. I don't know where he gets the arrows from. Um, and Chief Woundhead's design is fantastic and creepy and also re- really cool. It works. His slow lumbering, his slow lumbering steps actually bring something to material that Woundhead's always had. So yeah, so far I'd say very good. What would I give it? Um out of five I really enjoyed it I know it must sound like I didn't there are some critiques I had of it but I generally thought they did a really good job and yeah it's kind of and I think Gore's kind of interesting too because normally in these sort of things you know they'll unplay a bit this one didn't go full-blown like J-horror gore like the you know some of those movies I'm talking about um oh shit icky killer and stuff like it didn't go to the point of having semen dripping down and chains through hooks and chains through skin on hooks and all that shit but it's pretty gory from american movie and very watchable and also it's somewhat cartoony which combined with the material there's an element of poking the fun material while playing it somewhat seriously so yeah a very good start and um i'll be back in sec with the next part of the episode <laughs> in Paris is the story of Emily in Paris. It's created, written and directed by, I think, Darren Starr, the guy who makes Sex and the City. And already I'm thinking, Ian, why are you watching this? Why are you watching this? Why are you watching this? this? Because... My version of horror is watching romantic on so why not? Um so this starts with Emily and Kate Walsh. Um Emily's played by Lily Collins. Kate Walsh upstairs on Grace Napping, Private Practice, she's a pretty good actress. So Kate Walsh is the boss who's sort of like, Yay, I'm going to France, yay, and um Lily Collins, Emily is like, Yay, I'm getting promoted, but then her boss is like, Oh no, I'm gonna be sick. And she throws upside. Like, and they look at each other and they're like, Oh my god, you're pregnant. And she's not like, pregnant. And they're like, How? And they're like, What? Why? And then we cut to the next scene where the aptly named boyfriend is like, Hey, sports. I love sports. And Emily's like, Guess what? My boss is pregnant. And the boyfriend's like, how? How is she pregnant? And she's old shit. And then Emily's like, I don't know, but I'm going to Paris. And he's like, what? She's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Paris. And he's like, that is making sense. Why are you going to Paris? You only speak French. And she's like, just sweet j- little regard. And he's like, I don't know what that means. And I don't think you do either. They're outside having discussion. And she's like, I have to go to Paris. And he's like, but, but, but you don't speak, again, you don't speak French. But she maintains, I'll be back after a year, and they both look at each other, and I'm thinking, this is such neat shit. On so many levels. And we're speeding through it, because it's only a half hour for episodes. So, your boyfriend's like, fine, if you want to go to Paris, okay, you can go, it's fine, we'll stay together, we'll be good. And she's like, yay! So then she's in Paris, because fuck transitions. Let's just jump through this shit as quickly as possible. So she's in fucking Paris, and she immediately gets hit on and a fucking rental car driver's like ah let me hit you with your bags up the stairs and she's like okay and he takes her up to the fifth floor sixth floor and calls it fifth because they call ground floor the first floor because well ground floor i don't know first floor ground floor some shit like that because they fucking crazy people in france takes her up the stairs and despite that she ran five miles in 40 minutes and 18 seconds She's fucking tired. She's like, I can't do enough flooring. It's like, you literally ran five miles in 40 fucking minutes. And you can't go up fucking five flights, six flights of stairs. Stupid people. (laughs) <laughs> so she get some top And the guy's like Ah this is How do you say The service quarters Ah but, but look small But look at viewing I'm like What's wrong with these people And then immediately He's like Ah would, would you like A cup of coffee In the diner She's like No he's like Would you like A glass of wine She's like I have a boyfriend He's like Ah where's your boyfriend In Paris she goes Chicago He goes Aha So you don't have A boyfriend in Paris She's like well, you fuck off And he fucks off And already I'm thinking this is going to be one of those shows where they're in love with the main character everyone's in love with the main character except people who aren't because we late meet her uh, boss and her co-workers who are pieces of shit and they all treat her like crap and they're also like you don't speak French you piece of shit it's like you all speak English like don't act like there's any loyalty to your language or anything like that you clearly have westernized so eventually, she has a meeting with them, in social media ambassador. Unfortunately, he only speaks French because, of course, Mr. H, that's what you want—a social media ambassador, the entire planet for your company to embrace you on you and not speak fucking English. That's genius. And rest the passive-aggressive caricatures of French characters from other movies. And this really makes me appreciate, like, obviously disgusting human being that we alan is and undoubtedly is but i mean like if you're gonna make movies set in france like at least fucking have them be somewhat charming not with the fucking cast of dirty dozen fucking awful french stereotypes these pieces of shit it's just the worst excuse for characters like down from top down it's smug as anything. No attempt at characterization here. is borderline embarrassing. So I'm not going to give them any names because I don't give a shit. I'm just going to call them French coworkers because they're all assholes. They're all smug and they of like, ah, they, they have a go uh, for selling farm Being a social meat rep for a pharmaceutical company goes, ah, you know, if people are fat. They don't eat for pleasure. They clearly eat for pleasure. If they eat in excess, they are in. Eating for pleasure, you assholes. They're like, we make perfume uh, and cognac, uh, we smoke into cigarettes for pleasure. It's like, you piece of shit. You literal. If you looked up French stereotyping dictionary, you're finally completing our asshole back to back. So from there she goes out to lunch and she's hit and she's almost hit on game, but then guys like nope. And then she goes back to her flat and she goes up five flights of stairs and forgets that she's gotta go up six and tries opening the door but won't open for keys, so she starts freaking out. And then wh- who opens the door but handsome French man who's like Ah wee we je Jim Pedre Smith, the floor. And you're just watching it thinking, like, did you literally just buy a book and just buy the French book of clichés? Because this is just borderline awful. It's even worse because there is no discernible difference between this guy and Guy from earlier. It's just, like, this guy has no... Gun facial hair, short hair, I guess. And it's fucking awful because it's basically, she's, oh, she's it's she's going to have an affair with this guy who I'm going to call fucking John Luke because why not? She's going to have an affair with John Luke, but it's going to be fine because they're both young. They're both in Paris and a bit of bit of casual sex. What's wrong with that? She cheats on boyfriend who hasn't even got a fucking name yet. Who cares? It doesn't matter. She can cheat. It's okay. Just show right off. It's fine. It's just the worst. So then she flustered, goes up to her apartment, um, and the next day she's back at work again, and she thinks, oh, I'll bond with the French social media ambassador, and what I'll do is I'll record myself speaking to my phone, and then I'll play it back in French. And this one like the phone's a fucking death trap or something, like it's a white noise machine, you know, like... Like, it's emitting ghosts. Like, it's going to steal her soul. She runs off. I'm like, who is this woman? How is she a social media bastard for anything? How does this woman get out of bed in the morning without blowing up her house making a cup of tea? You know, or, or toast or something. And then going on, course, the French don't drink tea. They don't eat. They just smoke cigarettes at lunch or vape or whatever it is because they're too cool to function. You know, it just reminds me of the, um... There's a bit from my crazy ex-girlfriend, um... And there's a bit in that show where the main character dream dreams about and sings about a sexy French depression, and I'm like, this is basically that, but without para, parodic m parodic m You know, because I think Darren Starr knows what parody is. I think unintentionally stumbled into it, but I don't think any of this is intentional. So from there, Emily's at lunch and one French guy comes over and co-workers comes over. I don't give a shit about names. The guy with white, white hair. He's like, I'm sorry I, I mocked in public. We're all afraid of you and your crazy American ideas that might work because you don't want his company business success. Okay, bye. And I'm like, this is proper bollocks at this point. So from there, we cut to mercifully to almost the end of the episode. Name for this terrible, pathetic first episode. Um, and it ends with Doug, the boyfriend, finally gets name. He finally catches up to her and they're like, hey, let's cyber sex. And I'm like, wait, what? And uh, so he's tugging and she's like gently, she's getting a safe zone, I think you could say is a better term. And then suddenly his connection goes dead. And it's like, oh shit. And then she goes, fuck it, okay. Time to get vibrator out, which you know fair enough, if you know, when in Rome or when in Paris in this case. So but then she gets the fucking universal adapter and she blows the power out in the entire place. And then it's sort of like she looks up the ceiling and goes, Oh shit. And that's it, that's the end of the episode. So Emily goes para- Emily in Paris episode one. Um one hour five one out of five, and I'd just give it one out of five for one sole re- two reasons. One, Kate Walsh is a pretty good actress. I think I would generally stand by that viewpoint. And also, so half point for that, considering she's barely in it, and half a point for Lily Collins being charming and likable, even when her character's not charming or likable, and has an Instagram session and doesn't have many redeeming qualities, and the writings are trojans, so she has nothing to work with. And she still comes across as likable, despite the fact that she's playing a really insufferable character. So, 1 out of 5. Um, first, of my weekly reviews of Emily in Paris. I know it's all up on Netflix, I understand that, but there is no fucking way that no, I'm doing a batch recap of this shit. 1 a week, that's it. 1 out of 5. Try again next week. <laughs> So just watched the second segment of Creep Show too. First segment obviously was Chief Wormhead, and this segment's called the Raft, and it's best summed up by four teenagers. I guess teenagers—they were looking mid twenties. Deep the jockey, leader of group Cisco, the um Cisco, Randy. So Randy, the sort of pre-med student, Laverne, the. Uh, it's like more levacious, uh, paramour of um deets. And Rachel, who may or may not be paramour around, it, never made quite clear. So they're all driving and they're all passing joints. past the joint, passing joint, as you would. Rachel's in back. She laughs at first and she looks solemn, something the director wasn't quite sure what her character was meant to be and I'm not sure either it's quite strange to see George Merrill write a scene about a bunch of teenagers smoking dope because usually he doesn't write scenes about teenagers smoking dope so it feels a bit weird but that's okay from there um, they talk about where they're going namely they're going to a beach a lake even to go on a raft which is like great you know college teenagers who looking and early 30s, they they like going to lakes, I'm sure, Uh, I can't say I ever did, as a teenager in my 30s won't go to a lake, but when in the boardroom, as they say, when in the boardroom, so they get to the lake, and Deeks jumps, strips off, and jumps in water, and goes shit, it's cold, but then says come on Cisco, because he calls him Randy Cisco, and Randy calls him, no, wait, what, he No, he calls Randy Poncho, and Randy calls him Cisco. I don't know why. think another example of George Romero's TV knowledge being from the early sort of um, 50s, I guess. Also, I should add, Creeper in this sounds just like Stan Lee, which is a bit of a weird coincidence. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> very strange. So, <Sorry. sighs> what is the most interesting, interesting p- segment? Um. So they they all swim to the raft. It's ages and they all swim there because they're all. Laverne and Rachel are sort of demure, but Rachel suddenly psyched that she's a bit less demure, despite the fact that Laverne's literally went to this event wearing red t shirt and panties and nothing else. Um. So Rachel jumps in water, fully clothed, with jean shorts, swims to the raft. But they take too long, and Randy notices an all-slick, and he's like, oh, shit, your all-slick's moving. Come on, guys, come on. So Rachel gets to the raft first. He hips her up, bashes her knee, and she's like, dude, what the fuck? And then he says, come on, Laverne, come on, Laverne. And Deeks is like, dude, chill out. And then Randy's like, look, that all-slick. And Deeks is like, what the fuck? Come on, Laverne. So they finally get her on the raft, and your all-slick goes underneath it. And they're like, what is that? And they have this... Incredibly boring discussion about All Slicks. Rachel finally says something. After of stripping off her clothes to reveal her more modest bathing outfit. She says, hey, me and Randy saw an All Slick four years ago. And it's like, what's the dynamic between you and Randy? What, what exactly are we meant to be taking away from this? But they never tell us. She gives him a few looks. So after she takes off her clothes, she looks at him and he ignores her. i like, no idea what's going on. There is one line earlier where Randy says come on, come on, like, Deets, you got to get laid, but you're so cold, you can't get laid. But it's like, you're all going to have sex on raft? That's fucking weird. Like, was that your plan all along? For, like, you and Deets to have, like, competitive sex next to each other? Like, so you could finish first or something? Like, I don't know, it's this American thing, and it's a British thing in some regards do. it, so, like, let's all have sex in the same room. It's like, let's not, let's not do that, you know? Focus on what you're doing, you know, it's just I don't know, Americans are weird and Brits are weird too. So anyway, the wrong raft and Rachel gets attacked by your stick. Everyone's like, shit. And they try and grab her, but it's pulling her under. It's like, no. And they're like, no. And then she goes under, fully submerged, screaming for Randy. Randy's like, no. And everyone looks at each other. And Laverne's freaking out. And Deke's sort of like, look, you better shut up if I hit you. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. He went that way very quickly, threatening to hit his missus. That's like, that's not cool. Under any stretch, that's not cool. You don't go there ever. You certainly you never do it, you never threaten it, at all, like, and his reaction's just completely ludicrous, he goes from naught to 100 on rage scale, and then he says, Randy, what, how are we going to feed him all sick, and Randy's like, we'll just have to make a break for it, and Deeks is like, what are you talking about, what are you talking about, make a break for it, give me a joint, pass the joint, what are you talking about, and then Deeks is attacked by it, and then, they all try and grab him. He's like, "Come on, Randy, use your strength." And Randy's like, "I ain't got no goddamn strength. I ain't you, Deets. And they look at each other. Uh, look, don't describe as homoerotic. And then Deets, um leg snap right leg snaps upwards, so he's pulled through because one leg is pushed up to his chest and the other leg being pulled under so he's pulled under and randy gives up and goes shit i can't save him and levone's freaking out she jumps in randy's arms and randy basically says to her look i ain't deep i ain't strong enough and he certainly implies that she's kind of fat which she this actress is anything it's not fat so he's saying look all you have to do is stand on board it can't get you can't get you if you stand on board and i'm like i don't think that's accurate even slightly but you know what can do so he finally puts it down, and they hug, and he's like, "Look, we'll keep watch." <sighs> <sighs> he's really bored, serpent. So this serpent's not grey either. But anyway, he's Randy says they'll keep watch, and they do all night, and nothing happens, and they go to sleep, and nothing happens, and it's like this is a very patient horse stick. I guess they're really going to drag out the moment where he goes off Randy. Cause you know, Randy's going to be last survivor because these young ones he's had a hint cut development. Not, I still don't know what dynamic is with Rachel. I mean she's dead so it doesn't matter anyway. Anyway, Laverne's asleep and Randy's like, Oh man, oh man, now's my chance. Deep's dead, Rachel's dead. He decides it's time for some sexual assault. And you're watching this and I was watching this and I was like, What the fuck? Like, I mean not not that it's these characters are likable in first place, but it's like it's George Romero is this his attempt at social commentary, like, I, I don't know, but, so Randy fills her up, and he kisses her stomach, and he gropes her, and she's like, no, no, and he bats off, and has this look on his face, and it says, God, woman, and so like, yeah, Randy, God, woman, you know, some, for some bizarre reason, they don't particularly like it, if you sexually, if you sexually assault them, which is a... Wow, I mean, like, who would have, have figured that, you know? It's like, they don't like being assaulted. And Randy's like, God. And then Laverne's like, no, 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 no. And it turns out the All has gone through boards. And she's going to die knowing that Randy tried to sexually assault her. And at the same time, his terrible advice about boards means that she's going to be pulled through them. So the... And this is a really good gore effect. So the All Slick... Melts off half her face and then covers her entire face and then pulls her into water. And Randy's like, Fuck this shit. So he drives swimming away. And at this point, you should remember the all stick waited all night for the perfect moment to go after them. So it's patient. We know it's patient. So this is going to be involved a car and There's going to be a lot of all sick on road and cool shit like that. So Randy swims. Laverne's skeletal corpse emerges covered in oil and it's a really good effect by the way this effect's incredible and she waves at Randy Randy gets the water before you sick and get him gets some beach shrub like <sighs> the side of the water and then runs up and he starts saying, ha ha, I'm invincible, I'm invincible. And then your also covers him and he goes, ah, and he screams and that's it, he's dead. And then the last thing we see is a shot for the car. They'll radio on all this time, all overnight, which it wouldn't all overnight because the engine would overheat. Um, so, yeah. And then we see a sign that says no swimming. It's like, ha ha, that's a moral story, don't swim. So what did I give this segment? Who is was The characters are nothing. They're unlikable. They're poorly vet. Chief Wormhead's characters were actually pretty way vet. These ones aren't really. So I think George Merrow. This is the midpoint where I think George Merrow got a bit bored. And didn't really invest them with much detail. And it's a bit shorter than the first segment I think. Um, We've been better with a bit more exposition. I know it's strange but we've been better for that. And maybe if it had a bit more life to it. But the effects are incredible. And the central concept of you're stuck on raft and you can't escape because there's something parole, patrolling the boat, it's actually really terrifying. So I would go for, okay, so if I was going to give it marks, I'd give it one mark for Lagore, because that's really, really good, one mark for the idea, because the idea is fantastic, um, and... I suppose one mark for the tension, because there was lots of tension. So I'd go for three out of five, because characters were nothing, and visually it wasn't great, but the tension was very good. The acting wasn't great either, but yeah. So I'd go for three out of five for this segment. Good good little creep show there. And in change of pace, um, from what I was originally planning to do, next up would be second episode of Emily in Paris. And then I'll finish off with creep show... Part two, Creepshow two, the first part. So I'll back in a sec. It's time for Emily in Paris episode 2. This episode obviously follows on from last one where Emily tried to have cyber sex with her boyfriend and powering out in her apartment. But guess what? We're not having any follow-up with that because Emily's gone for a run this morning. She's run five miles. She's exhausted and she goes up five flights of stairs, tries using her key, and for anyone can say, oh no, not again, she's accidentally knocking on Gabriel's door gabriel is sort of like innuendo innuendo and she says sorry i'm sweaty i'm wet but not that kind of wet i'm sorry and she's very clumsy and laugh awkwardly and he says she says she won't bang on his door again he says you can bang any time and she stumbles up the stairs and ray we're thinking they're gonna do this sooner rather than later aren't they and then we find out the truth of that statement because um emily's well you don't find out yet emily's back at work next day and f1's an arsehole again um and that's really getting old, and only so being one episode, F1 mocks her and says she doesn't speak French properly, in Tavis and she doesn't understand France. And she's very smug to her boss, and that's one of the things I don't like about this show. They're going for the culture clash, but everyone's so horrible to each other. Like, Emily, you would think as someone who rose up rancing America, but don't understand base, well, you probably because she rose up rancing America. But she's so rude to her boss. Like, really rude. And her boss eventually goes, fine, you can go to a party tonight. And Emily's like, yeah. And she goes, but don't wear that. So Emily wears dressing dress party. And she meets this guy, Antoine, and his life, Sylvia. And you find out the big ups in company. And this guy starts flirting with Emily really badly. It's like, is everyone on the show want to fuck her? I mean, she is a very pretty woman. But, like, her personality is a bit wanting. And also... The idea that, oh my god, you're an exotic American in France, is like, that's not really anything. Like, it's a pretty blazy, poorly thought out story reason. I mean, we mock stuff like Twilight, and she does have more personality than someone like Bella does in Twilight, but at the same time, it's still creepy that they're obsessing over her to this extent. Anyway, Antoine's basically like, you smell like expensive sets and says, if you, you need a French boyfriend, he can teach you France in bed best way to learn french it's like no know if that really holds up but again it's wanging the boardroom as they say or the boardroom as they say sorry i love that line uh many people don't i enjoy it. i like that reference i like that sentence so emily is um uh, proposition and the boss next day says to Sylvia is a friend of mine don't flirt with her husband in front of her and also he wants you on this project but you're not on this project you're on vagina project you know the mouldy vagina project and at that point I'm like too much fucking information show we like guys I wouldn't want a love discussion about crusty penises or anything like that so if I don't if I don't want that, I'm equal opportunities. I won't hear about anyone's crusty dick. I don't want to hear about anyone's mouldy vagina. That's just me. I equal opportunities, don't want to hear about it. But they're like Emily, you're on this project. And she starts getting flipping with them again. So her boss explains to her, you deal with pharmaceuticals. This is a pharmaceutical sort of pro- medicines, medical project product. So you just do it. And Emily looks at her like, you bitch, I hate you and after this we find out that the reason that she doesn't want emily and antoine's project isn't it? she's M. antoine's mistress so emily's like what so she calls up mindy from the last episode they go out to lunch and mindy's like yo no it's french you know they fuck everyone but they discreet about it. they don't discuss it they tolerate it it's like what is going on in this show so um and then they're a restaurant, and Emily's sort of like, this steak's disgusting, I don't want it, despite the fact she hasn't eaten it, she says, do wait, waiter, take it back, he's like, no. He's like, you take it back, he's like, no. She's like, you get a chef out here then, and, and waiter walks off, and Mindy's sort of like, no, 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 See in France, they cook how they want cooking, it. and it's like, I'm an American, they'll cook it where, two of them to cook it. So the chef comes out, and it's Gabriel, and he's like, you know, just eat your fucking food, okay, shut, your, shut up and eat your fucking food. You want me burnt to a crisp by weed, but fucking try it first, okay? So Emily tries it. so, oh my god, it's gorgeous. so tender. Mindy's like, yeah, his meat is pretty tender, isn't it? And Gabrielle's like, yeah, Emily, I'm going to go in the kitchen now. So he goes in the kitchen. And Mindy's like, I would bone-appetite him. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I just made a terrible horror movie called Babachan. So out now on youtube <laughs> uh shameless um so emily in paris continues with um uh the guy emily saying that she needs to speak to her boyfriend so she calls him up and boyfriend says, yeah I'm not, I'm not coming Paris, we're breaking up and i'm like why the fuck was she giving boyfriend anyway what's the point of that you immediately like the only reason to have that would be for the moderately interesting drama of her debating whether she should cheat on her boyfriend or not, and you fucking cut that. Because now she has no reason not to fuck Gabrielle or Antoine or fucking anyone. You no, know, she can fuck anyone. It doesn't really matter at this point. Also, earlier in the episode, she says she usually prefers men. So, you know, that's Mindy's going to turn into a crazy, crazy obsessive lesbian or something. I don't fucking know. This show's terrible as is. Might as well go full-blown terrible. So, Emily rates up for boyfriend and then cites that she's gonna tweet about her job and instagram about her job and products in her job and i'm like emily it's a really stupid idea but she does anyway and it's retweeted by someone named bridget marcon i have no idea who that is but all her co-workers are like oh my god that's amazing she got retweeted by bridget marcon named by emily to So table am like, emily yeah 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 but Sylvia's like no um uh, her boss, I don't know what her name is him? Uh let's call her French. Frenchie. Frenchie's like, no, yeah, she shakes her hand, sneers at the camera and that's it. Um one out of five. Terrible episode. Absolute terrible episode of T V. What's the point of introducing boyfriend at all? What's the point of getting rid of him so quickly? at same time why do they constantly have these weird creepy scenes with her and Gabrielle why are they wasting Lily Collins actually being rather charismatic and a good actress in this crap why are French bosses so offensively rude to her why is she why is Emily angry that she's been put on products that she's got some knowledge of why does emily keep blabbing about things have nothing to do with her job why is she seemingly so oblivious to all these creepy men flirting with her like she says that she's got a boyfriend but it's done in this oh yeah yeah why is she so awkward around Gabrielle? you know it's love questions and i understand complexities, and i understand attracting people and not being able to deal with it and all that stuff but this doesn't seem like it's being written by anyone but female, even a slight female perspective. You know what this seems like? It's just like Sex and City where when I admit I've watched a couple of episodes of Sex and City I read a really interesting article and said essentially Sex and City is about four gay men, but they couldn't put four gay men on screen in a series like that and times so they cast four females instead. And uh yeah. So this feels like that this feels a really strange series and i don't think it's entirely working and i think it's really badly written and just complete gibberish um yeah one out of five really poor and so far this this series has two out of ten which is really bad so who knows maybe next week will be better i doubt it but maybe (laughs) So we end our creep show coverage, or Creepshow coverage rather, with a macabre story about a woman who is cheating on her husband named Annie. Um, she's cheating on her husband with a prostitute, which seems, I don't know, I, I don't like to judge, but that seems weird. Like, if you're going to cheat, why did you, like, not get someone doing a to pay? She pays him, and this arsehole says, oh, well, you're not paying me enough, I gave you six orgasms and I know you had more, it's like, I don't think you do, I don't think you really understand he says that he claims that he knows that she had silent ones, not swears ego, but it's like if she had six orgasms, why would she stop there, like you know at that point, your ego's pretty boosted, why not boost it some more, but I don't know necessarily about female perspective when it comes to sex so you know, because I am a goofy guy in my 30s, but, you know, anyway, uh, moving on swiftly, uh, before, you know, talk of that ensues, so from there, she decides to give him some more money, and he says, I might be back next week, I'm not sure, so she says, he better be back, because, you know, or i better be back, because she's going to this place, because um, if, if he wants his Mercedes, then she needs to keep coming back, but, you know, her husband pays her and she pays him. So, instantly, how would this go on a receipt or a tax return? Disclaimers for expenses. Uh, so, she gets in her car and drives and she drives and she's not really paying attention to the road and she hits a hitchhiker and knocks him down. Now, I do that. I'm not describing what a hitchhiker looks like because you can assume what a hitchhiker looks like, okay? I'm not describing this hitchhiker for a very important reason that will come in play later on so she knocks this guy down and he's dead on impact and she freaks out and she thinks oh no what do I what do I do what do I do what do I do when well, then she says "The thing does drive off so she drives off and she's driving away and then we cut to a truck pulling up and out of the truck sets Stephen King and he's playing a cat, uh, truck driver and he's oh my god so he pulls that flare and his accent is amazing movie, by the way he pulls that fling. He goes, ah, oh, what what we got here? And then woman pulls up, and then man pulls up, and man starts dialing phone. And Stephen King's like, looks like, a, and I'm quoting him verbatim, looks like a black fella got hit by a car. And at that point, I was like, Stephen, you don't need to quantify the colour of his skin. A person got hit by a car. And when people talk about problematic aspects of Stephen King, it's stuff like this. And, okay, he didn't write script i get that but why didn't he say maybe i shouldn't specify color of guy's skin because it's not relevant but he did and also there's many times in many movies and books throughout years where they seem to foreshadow what happened to stephen king if you don't know stephen king was running on the road and he got hit by a vehicle and he was very seriously injured well that's sad but it's also bizarre because, like, in this movie, it's talking about some guy got creamed by a car on the side of the road, and then that happened to Stephen King in real life. And it's kind of like it's kind of very strange and also you know bizarre and that he would be in a scene talking like that and sort of like going, Ah, oh, some guy got creamed by a car, and acting like it was a jolly thing. Obviously, this isn't Stephen King playing Stephen King. I mean he can't act just Stephen King playing a character in a movie but at the same time it's very strange that it hits something which is actually reversed in real life a fair few years later so from there this woman drives off the guy's dead and she starts freaking out because he starts appearing elsewhere and then appearing in front of a car she hits him again he appears in the car she kicks him out the car and then finally she rams him into a tree and he's sort of like got a ride laid and she's freaking out but she tries killing him again because she's convinced that he's not real so it's fine so she runs him over a fair few times and finally thinks she's survived and she's freaking out at this point of like well at least i've got that excuse being home late i'm like you have to your husband very select part of that story so she gets home and her husband isn't there and she's like oh okay one time i finally get home i oh, sorry about that, I got a phone call from parents, but I'm back now. So essentially this short ends with her driving home, her husband's not there, and Hitchhiker murders her in a car and tries licking her face, and eventually we cut away to outside and we get a ripple effect, and it was all a dream. Then we cut back to her husband pulling up, he finds her in the garage and her car's smoking and she has a thing over her chest saying Dover so she's dead um, and that's how that story ends um, yeah uh, here's the thing that probably does this a disservice because it's generally quite a creepy sequence there's a lot of repetition to it it's a tad annoying but the general nature of sequence is creepy the idea of you made a mistake and you can't outrun your mistake it's going to haunt you for the rest of your life it's terrifying and really fucked up and something that a lot of people probably find a nightmare scenario Um but it's hard to describe in a podcast recap because not much happens. Same for the raft. At least with the first one, Chief Wung had a lot happened in it. So it's easy to describe and fun to mock. But this is just a constantly made horror. Segment. I'd give it three out of five. Just constantly made. So overall, that's... Uh, f- fuck. I'm going. So I'm going to say 4-3-3. Three, three. So that's... Ten, ten out of 15, 10 out of 15 score, which is not bad overall for creep show. Um, and then there's a little wrap-up bit where Billy is assailed by some bullies and these bullies. I have to believe this bit is inspired by Stephen King. He doesn't seem to understand that. You have got bullies who aren't homicidal maniacs. Um, Billy kicks one of them in groin and then runs off and Billy says, I want his ass," which is a great line of dialogue. Kudos, George Romero, kudos. I don't think he wrote that. I think Stephen King wrote that bit. Anyway, they trap down Billy. And they go to ambush him, but a fucking plant eater, lotus plant, eats the bullies. And Billy starts laughing. And Creepers like, oh, we'll go, Miller Boy. And it's like it's fucking weird at this point. Um, yeah, that's that's Creep show too? Um, I really enjoyed it. I don't think I've used more stories. I haven't seen first one, but maybe that's a bet movie overall i don't know but i do enjoy creep show too it's not perfect there's a lot of elements which don't work in it but i like the fact that it's kind of schlocky horror because i am a perverse schlocky horror as you guys all know all too well i like my schlocky horror movies and this definitely a schlocky horror movie uh, Like I said, 10 out of 15 very enjoyable very gory the gore effects in particular for the last two segments were fantastic and the, Effects on Chief Woodenhead were great. You know, whether it's a man, costume, I don't know, but just the nature of it, way he moves and all of that stuff, looked very creepy and very cool. And there's some visual elements in there, not so much in Wrath, but in this one and the first one. There's a lot of interesting visual elements to the stories and construction for such stories. So I definitely recommend Creep Show 2 to anyone who wants to watch it. It's on Arrow TV. Get a trial for Arrow TV um, and watch it arrows of course make some fantastic blu-rays this way so definitely recommend buying some blows if you are in HMV, they're usually doing deals of some sort or in america it's barnes and noble i guess or maybe um zappo uh, i'm not Zavi. that's Zavi, it was a really good store and yeah there you go that's um creep show too <laughs> Right, let's wrap this episode up. Thanks for listening again. This is in Austin Fright Night Fright. Probably it's too harsh for Emily in Paris. I don't like that sort of program. I especially don't like it when it's done badly. And this one was done really badly. So, you know, I can't really give it any props. I think I might as well view the third episode next week as the first episode of the series. Clearly, they're not going to be consistent about anything. They're ditching characters like clockwork nothing like clockwork like anti-clockwork and generally it's just really really bad it's not funny it's not sweet it's not dramatic it's not anything it's just it's just noise uh smug americanized insultingly passionizing to french and americans and english noise um but creep show is good and my movie's out by babatian so yay not bad we going all I mean yes they sucked but you know what can you do anyway I'll be back next week with more stuff on Arrow TV maybe Island of Death because you know I haven't covered that on podcast that's one of my most hated movies ever but it'll be interesting to see if I can find some way to do an episode on it so probably Island of Death next week but I'll confirm near in time anyway as always thanks for listening and remember life is beautiful